welcome to Sonic Talk, episode number 401, which sounds like a number that should have some significance, but I have failed to research it. Uh, so if somebody in the chat room perhaps wants to uh, see if uh, 401 has any significance into our audio technology world, then good. Uh, this week, uh, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, one of two things, we obviously have our usual show sponsors, Isotope, who very kindly uh, will be having a message from them later where you'll be able to win Iris 2 and also announcing the competition winner for last week where iris 2 was also out for grabs but we're also doing something a little bit different which is a kind of group review of the sky uh, the, the blue mofi headphones which i think is something that perhaps uh we've talked about a little bit before as people have got hold of now all of the panelists have got a pair in fact there's rich he's pointing to his ears i'm wearing a pair okay let's let's have a, a, a check in with ears so that was rich i've got mine and uh let's see we've got gaz He's got his box there, and Mark Tinley's wearing a pair too, and so is Robbie. Um, but what we'll do, well, I'll introduce, I guess I may as well introduce the panel. Well, we're going to talk about those a little bit, then we'll get on to the other topics. But uh, I know lots of people have been very interested in these, and they've been heralded as this kind of like brand new a revolution in terms of uh, uh, audio and um, various, um, in, in terms of listening, basically, and uh, sort of causing a bit of a stir. But let's introduce our guests first. First of all, we have Mr. Mark Tinley, sound artist and creative thinker, who's there in his... Uh, I don't know. Look, last time your studio was subterranean. I don't know if it is. Um, is it subterranean? No, I'm on the first floor. And I'm very pleased to announce that despite having uh, bought myself a little sub unit, which pumps out loads of bass, my uh, Reiki soul therapy next door neighbor on that side <laughs> ah. can't hear it. She can't hear any of it. And Excellent. my um, my very quiet, very nice uh slightly older than me neighbor on the other side also hasn't heard anything at all so i've been like really cranking <laughs> are you uh, sure they're not just herbie, being polite I thought, <laughs> I thought i'd test it all with herbie hancock's rocket because that always you know the, the lin all right the, so you've uh, the, you, an uh, so you're the neighbor from hell punch. and your neighbors are actually not from <laughs> hell at all <laughs> no, i mean i imagine going that way we've just got single glazing there so I, I should imagine that everybody at the bus stop can hear it absolutely pounding but the walls are thick enough that it doesn't go through the walls so i'm very pleased excellent with that. i'm very glad to yeah. hear that mark that's jolly good news and i don't have that well gaz williams is in the attic in his base garret uh uh, but I, th I thought basement, but uh, yeah, I've said it before. Gaz Williams, course, music mm -hmm. technologist, professional bass player, producer, uh, amongst many other things. Uh, how are you, Gaz? Very good. I just uh, went on a quick trip to Paris uh, and did a gig, over, well, a couple of gigs over there, um, <laughs> which is pretty random because um, we, tra well, I performed with uh, the Fantasy Orchestra um, and it was in uh, L'Albatross. Al in Montreuil, which is a really <laughs> fantastic place. Uh, it's a really bohemian kind of setup, really. But it's been there for a long time. And it's where George Mellet, it's George Mellet. I don't say George Melly. That's a different no, person. That's Roger. Uh, oh, no, yeah. No. <laughs> somebody, director, else, somebody else entirely. director who uh, directed the, uh, the, the very first ever science fiction film, uh, The Man in the Moon. The rocket goes into the moon's eye. Oh, yeah. It's a really I famous... That. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a place where that was made. And I think it's sort of what the film Hugo, which I haven't seen, is, oh, is kind of film. based on. Oh, so a bit of cultural yeah. history. And how did the gig go? Yeah. Did they go all right? But it was really funny because just they changed the times of things. So um, me and a, couple, and a few others, we arrived about halfway through the gig um, and literally walked 
walked on stage during the gig and and, and joined in. <laughs> and, and I had to, I, I was singing and I sang one of the horridest songs in history. My goodness. <laughs> With a, with a, with, I think it was about a seventy-five piece orchestra to sing Rod Stewart's "Sailing," wow. which is a stinker. I hadn't even practiced it or even sang it with the orchestra before, and literally walked in after just travelling, walked straight, straight <laughs> onto the stage, and then a few songs. I was having, and I tried to see if I could, um, if I could make something. I saw, I. I I hate the song, <laughs> and it transpired that everyone in the orchestra hated it as well. <laughs> as well. Um, so you so did it real the justice, then, right? I well, I went down on my knees and I was giving it some. You know, I really kind of, <laughs> I tried to see how much just ridiculous emotion I could be. We got a standing ovation for it. Wow, that's you have to do it again. Did you have Stand to tell yeah. me you had to play it again? <laughs> no, no, no. Wow, is there, is, this, is there a video evidence of this somewhere? I think we there, should... there might be, but what? But the, the next day, a quite a funny thing happened. In a, we did another gig uh, the next day, and we did uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, um, and I got to I got to sing the So you think you can stone me and spit yeah. in my eye? That little bit, which is the, the best bit, and I just that was the only thing I was going to do in the whole show. So I thought I better make the most of it <laughs> and uh i grabbed the microphone a, a little bit too <laughs> you know a little bit too enthusiastically and, and broke the microphone stand in half and i ended up with just the top part of the microphone so you, you channel freddy mercury wow it was a, a complete accident and what? i was trying to put and then i realized what i had so i was strutting around and going, yeah, you know. were, were you wearing a vest <laughs> yellow, yellow trousers were. Uh, certainly not, but, that sounds yeah. awesome guys well it sounds like you've been having a lot of fun and thanks for joining us uh, right well quickly on to our next guest robbie um, you're gonna have, can you top that well I've actually well I've, I've been having fun i went away for a few days with my portable studio ah so to start work on carrying on with my album and to see if there was anything wrong with the way I'd set it all up. Um, it was all good apart from I wired it all up the first day and um, went to plug the speakers in and realised I'd, I'd ordered jack to female XLRs instead of jack to male XLRs. Ah, so, oh, so, dear. So that was, that, right. well, that's, that's not too bad, I suppose. It could have been worse. I 20 miles to a Maplin's and buy a soldering iron and some plugs to sort it out. Ah, well... Yeah. Well, that's about anyway. Robbie, of course, uh, studio yeah. owner, producer, songwriter, and uh, mobile recordist, and also uh, musical director for Howard Jones, uh, where he's building his second rigs and doing all sorts of interesting stuff. Anyway, let's also um, say yeah. hello to Mr. Richard Hilton there in uh, Connecticut, uh, who is also joining us um, this fine morning. I think we're still, is it still morning? It's about 11 a.m. or something, isn't it? There, or is it earlier? Ah, well. It's 11.12 at the moment. Ah, excellent. Well, anyway, thank you very much for joining us, Rich. Uh, Rich, of course, is a keyboard player for Chic, uh, Nile Rogers studio guy. Ah, there goes my phone. That's probably my mother. It's my publicist. It's my mother, actually. So, what did uh, you call him? <laughs> no, I said it was my mother. <laughs> she doesn't know that I do a podcast. Uh, I'm surprised I heard it, actually, because these headphones have got amazing isolation. But anyway, how are you, Rich? You all right? Oh, yeah, I'm you good, did that gig with Shaka Khan, didn't you, in the week? Wow, I, I saw we that did. and I just thought, my God, she's my fa one of my favourite singers of all time. And and we had Melly Mel do the um, rap at the beginning of I Feel For You. Oh, the famous, wow. You know, the famous Shaka Khan one. You oh, know, that wow. One. That yeah, must have been something so special. 
All live. Yeah, there's video evidence of this. Wow. Okay, I think we'll have to... Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> Go away. Loaf of bread. Yeah, no, it's not that. It's I think it's basically... <laughs> Leader of I, milk. I, it's not that. I don't know who that one was from, but uh, anyway, I'm just going to turn my phone egg. silent. I usually do, but I've obviously forgotten to do that today, so I do beg your pardon. And also Quality welcome paper. to the chat room. Um, we'll say hello <laughs> to them too, because they are kind of the, the fifth member of the panel um, in... Altogether, and there are plenty of them today. I, I, I dare I say it's a fulsome chat room. So hello, everybody there. <laughs> so anyway, I'm not going to say more. Let's first of all, I just wanted to write. So we're going to take a look at these blue MoFi headphones. We've all kind of gradually been been sent out a pair to try out. Uh, thank you very much to Hillary at Blue and also uh, um, all the people that have been involved. And first of all, I just want to show you one thing. This was the thing that impressed me when I first opened it. This is not something I'm used to getting in. This is so. This is the box it comes with. Uh, you know, it, it's actually quite grand and feels sort of very classy and expensive. And then uh, I'll just go through this quickly because then we can get onto the nuts and bolts of it. I'm going to open this up because it comes with a few accessories. Now, if I can just get it, I think my sellotape has restuck, so I'm going to look a bit foolish. <laughs> Okay, then inside uh, the headphones kind of stand. When you get them, they sort of stand in there like this, kind of on this plinth, and they look really impressive. I think I tweeted out a photo. And then underneath, you get all the gubbins on the inside, which is uh, a soft case. Uh, I think ours was a U. Mine, I got a, a US USB adapter for powering these up because these have got active uh, amplifiers in them. Uh, then you get uh, a couple of leads, uh, one lead which is just a regular long lead, and it's got this kind of. This inserts into the um, headphones, and they can be pulled out quite easily, which uh, and some people might think, oh, that's bad, or you might think it's good, because it means, actually, that if you pull on the lead, it's not going to break anything, it just comes out, which I think is probably a good thing. And this this one's got like a, a music adapter and a, um, a little microphone, so you can use them with a telephone on a shorter lead. And then the other lead comes, which is a very long lead that comes with it. So that's all the sort of accessories. I think I've got everything there. <laughs> so, I mean, I wanted to try and structure this in, into kind of what people think of various parts and elements of the review. Obviously, you know, the, the, the thing about these, uh, these headphones is they've got um, an analog amplifier built in that's matched to these 50-millimeter uh, carbon drivers, uh, and it's got three settings. You've got passive mode, which is just a regular pair of headphones. Then you've got on, which is engages the amplifier, which is means that they ma the amplifier is designed to be matched perfectly to the driver, so you get a full range, and you do indeed get a full range, even in passive mode, to my ears. And then on plus, which kind of adds a kind of bass enhancement to it, which is a very... It's one of the things that you know people are sort of dig on quite a lot, and certainly it works very well um, in uh, in music that perhaps hasn't got a lot of bass, and in other music which maybe has a lot of bass, it's, it adds a lot of bass too. Um, the construction—I'll have to take these off. Actually, the construction of them is quite remarkable. They're sort of designed uh, in this metal system, which uh, you can basically fit them to the size of your head. And then on the top, there's a little tension screw for getting the kind of the clamp tension, I suppose, because these are covered. They're full cover ear headphones. Usually I use open back ones because that's that's the ones I'm used to, which are the Sony MDVs. So these are a bit different to me. And I must admit, I'm very fussy about headphones. I generally don't find headphones that I like the sound of. So anyway, I mean, just as a quick round, what were your sort of first impressions? Because I know that uh, like Mark, when you first got them, uh, what did you think? What, what was your kind of initial impression? Um, my initial impression, I think they, um, uh, you know what? Because they said blue on the box, I know it's, I'm going to make myself <laughs> you thought they were a bit blue. dumb here. 
No, no, I didn't think they were blue. I just automatically assumed that because there was no wire in, in them and they mm. said blue on the box that they were going to be blue too. Ah, I see. So I then spent ages trying to connect them to my iPhone and then realised they weren't. <laughs> awesome. So, um, so yeah, because I've got some Bluetooth headphones and I thought, oh, these will, these will, you know, kind of be an upgrade to those or whatever. And then, ah, uh, uh, okay. Yeah. So that anyway, was your so issue. then when I worked out they weren't, then I thought, what's the point of this? I don't understand why they've got this. And, uh, and then when I heard them, I went, oh. Okay, something interesting's happening in here. So, and then um, I spent a lot of time comparing them to all my other headphones and trying to decide which one sounded better. Right. Okay. Well, maybe we can come onto the sound of that a bit later. I know, Rich. Yeah. Uh, your first impressions. I mean, because you got them probably earlier than anyone else. Because when the first uh, couple went out, you were closer to the warehouse, I believe. So, uh, what? What? Have, had you come across them before? I mean, what were your kind of? What were you expecting? I had not come across them before. I had. Uh, in anticipation of receiving them, done some research with their website and looked at all of their videos that described all the advanced design techniques they'd used and all the rethinking of, you know, breaking the mold type stuff that they did and uh, all of basically what they intended with it. So by the time I was opening that elaborate box, I had some idea what I was expecting, at least on paper. Um, it's they, uh, they really do sound great especially for the money, but but they really sound good. And they're quite comfortable to wear, though I can't say that I've worn them for periods of hours because I'm still reluctant to travel with something this big. Yeah, I, I see what um, you mean, yeah. I, ha I, ca I have two sets of in-ears with me anyway that are small, tiny, weigh nothing, and fit anywhere. So I, on a as a practical matter, I just can't have been able to justify bringing these things anywhere where I would be sitting with them for long enough to give you a long-term evaluation. Gotcha. But for the length of time I've used them for the vast variety of so uh, source material to which I've subjected them, they really, really sound good. Um, I prefer the uh, active on without bass boost and the passive modes uh, to the bass boosting modes, but I understand why they have a bass boosting mode. And I think for people who like that, they will compete very successfully uh, and much more effectively than some of the other headphone styles that do feature very exaggerated basses. Do you usually use closed headphones when you are not using buds? I mean, if you're using headphones, like if you've got them in the studio, for instance, I mean, Aside from yes. actually playing, playing with, but for monitoring, you use closed ear ones. Yes, um, I do. And typically I've been using Audio-Technica, which I like quite a bit. Um, these are very good, but interestingly for studio use and for podcast use, I've found that my preferred setting is the passive mode because something happens in the active mode between voice bone conduction in my head and what I'm hearing back in the headphones that doesn't sound exactly right to me. Whereas when I put them in passive mode, I get pretty much what I expect and I'm fine with it. So yeah. um, for recording purposes, I'm preferring passive mode. Right. Okay. Uh, Gaz, I know that uh, you also um, got these uh, perhaps because you were away, didn't you? So you got them a little bit later. What, uh, but you've been giving them extensive. What about, what do you feel about the sort of construction and that side of it? Uh, well, construction's great. There's, they are, you know, very, very well made. And I don't think anybody would be disappointed about that, including all the hardware as well. I think, um, I think the, well, I've got a lot of, 
I've got a lot of cans here, actually. So I have got lots to kind of compare them to. Um, and I've been enjoying comparing them. And for me, they really do. They really do the business. I'm very into them. I'll have to say that there's uh, there are a few caveats, including being able to. Yeah. That's sort of a positive or a negative, depending on which way you look at it, I suppose, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. It's a, but it comes out at the so easy. It just comes out really, really easy. Right. So it's probably a good thing in that it's going to mean that it will protect that. But it does come out incredibly easily. So right. whereas, whereas if it just stuck a little bit, I don't know. It, but it probably is a good thing. <laughs> but I'm also a clumsy... <laughs> a clumsy oaf. Uh, yes, oaf. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> um where I think they are amazing, I personally think, is um, the fact that you can plug them into anything and it'll sound and it sounds really, really good. And what I mean by that is I, I've got a pair of Sennheiser HD 650s here, which uh, which you really need to drive them with a powerful amp. Uh, so, if, for instance, you wanted to plug your headphones directly into your keyboard or into your effects unit or whatever it is, um, some of those things maybe don't have particularly great headphone amps on them. And the fact that these have got amps in them, whatever you plug into, you always get a very full sound. Right. Uh, uh, and I think that makes them excellent. But something that we haven't mentioned that is also a brilliant studio thing is that the if they're in the powered mode, when you take them off your head, head, they switch off. Yes, there's a little. If I, I, I might be able to uh, find the light. Where is it? There's a, there's a, oh, I'm not in passive mode. But basically, when you open up, there's a little light on the side, the and then ear. when you close them, there's obviously some sort of switch in here that allows you. That means that they mm. power off. So I think I should say now that they're supposed to do 12 hours, but obviously when you take them off. They power off, so they, it feels like much longer, and that is actually quite yeah. a valid point. Yeah, they, the the battery life has been excellent on them. Uh, I mean, twelve hours is quite a long time, I suppose, um, of listening. But the battery life, brilliant, and I'm finding that uh, I'm not needing to charge them very often at all. And I think that is probably to do with that that thing. But just the fact that it mutes is brilliant if you've got them in a recording setup where there's lots of mics on or whatever. And the dreaded headphone bleed for cans, uh, yeah, which kind of left well, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a, for me. That's a huge one. I think uh, AKG had a pair. Uh, which ones are they? The K. I can't remember the ones now. Um, Eighty. Oh gosh. Ah, oh, should have researched that one. Seven hundred one. They had the. They had the mute function, Robbie. Did they? Oh, when um, when no, you no, take no, them off your head. No, okay, big ones. Uh, I'll, I'll lock it up anyway. But yeah. uh, I always like that feature. Um, I've used them numerous times, the fact that they would auto-mute when you took them off. Uh, I think those ones used the headband, pressure on the headband. As soon as there was no pressure on the headband, then that would uh, cause them to mute. But um, as Rich says, though, they're very big, chunky headphones. And I just don't think that they're... You're going to want to travel with them much because yeah, they I mean, take up I think they're not such a lot of space. I, I think that's a fair point. This might be the sort of thing that you carry around. Okay, Robbie, I don't know. Um, yeah. You've had them for a while as well because you've you you you've been out uh, and you are a headphone nut, as you yourself confessed. Yeah. You know, you got po boxes of them in the attic. As far as that's my vision of your house, yeah. it's just a vo boxes of headphones everywhere. Robbie's headphone emporium. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I, I had them. I had them. I think a couple of weeks before everyone, because I had them off, obviously, on the tour. Um, and um, but I, I've I've enjoyed them so much. I mean, as soon as I got them, well, Howard got them first. A really nice guy called Kevin came from Blue to to one of the gigs and gave Howard a pair. And um, I was extremely jealous immediately. Um, and being a blue artist for the microphones, I got straight onto them. And so they came down to another show and gave me a pair, which was very nice. Um, but um, I was just spending the whole time on the tour um, listening to them, you know, like for eight hours at a time in the tour bus. Right. Just listening to ev- everything I had on my iPod or my phone, you know, listening to my own music, listening to loads of my favorite classic albums and stuff. And um, since then, I've actually, this weekend particularly, I've done quite a bit of work on them. Oh, I right, did a okay. whole, I did a, I did a whole day on them on Saturday and um, checked the mixes on my speakers and it's sounding really good. I felt very confident using them in that capacity, it's, um, which is quite quite a rare thing to feel that. I think that's something that's very. I mean, as I say, I'm very fussed. The, the thing that I've been finding today because I've not used them in the podcast environment yet is um, I've got a pair of Genelex in front of me, little 1029As, which I use now, if I have to go over to one of the machines to resize a Skype window. I turn them up. And usually when I'm wearing buds or whatever, I can hear it in the room and it's a certain sound. And what's really odd, when I've got these on, these I'm using them in passive mode as well, it actually feels like the speakers are on because there's so much body to the sound that it feels like there's something else in the room that is actually providing them. And that's something that I found kind of quite unusual because, as I say, with headphones, usually I'm, not, I'm used to open, so I'm used to hear what's going yeah. on. And that's, I mean, that's a, that, for me, that's one part of the negatives for it, just purely because if I've got these on and I'm listening to something, I am completely out of touch with anybody. And that takes me on to the net. If you were to plug this into your phone and wear them, you know, like lots of people are wearing Beats in the street or whatever, I would really worry that you might get run over because you are going to be completely oblivious oblivious to what's going on around you because you just cannot really hear what's going on outside especially if you've got them in active mode and they're sort of cranked up a bit so i mean yeah. in some you know yeah. but for studio listening when you're really focused on something or you want to cut yourself off absolutely a1 and that i think is what they're sort of for they're kind of builders student audiophile type kind of sound and you know as we've all actually said you know they do sound fantastic and the the only other it, thing for me is the the tension thing on the top feels like it's not quite enough. So I just feel like when I've been wearing them for a while, I feel a little bit like my head's in a kind of vice. But that's maybe right. I'm not used to this kind of headphone feel as well. But I don't know. The, if that... the, the interesting thing for me is my other favourite headphones up till now are um, the Shure SRH1840. They're kind of top of the line studio headphones, which are about £400 a pair. So about $600. They're expensive headphones. And I've used them a lot for mixing, and I've been comparing those quite a lot to these. But the thing about these that I like is that they somehow just seem more enjoyable to work with for periods of time. So I think some people have a very... Like, I I recommended these to another studio friend of mine, and he he kind of texted me back saying he absolutely hates them, and I really sold him down the river with them. So, But but I I know the kind of headphones that he likes, and so I could understand why... He didn't particularly like them because he likes absolutely kind of sterile reference type headphones. And somehow, for me, this is the best balance of that kind of kind of very kind of natural kind of sound. But somehow it's got a little bit more enjoyment to it. And that's what I like about them. Yeah, there's a sort of musical quality, isn't there, Mark? Yeah, musical, yeah. It's interesting that you should say that because I've been... 
I've been comparing them to different things and trying trying different things, and I've been tracking with them. And the one thing that drives me nuts when I'm doing any recording at home is that I can never really, I never really feel quite at home with my own voice, if that makes sense. Right. So when I'm singing, I always go like, oh, it's not quite right. I just need, I wish I'd got a Neumann U87 or a U47. That's what I need for that vocal sound. And, oh, I'd need a bit more of this and a bit more of that and blah, blah, blah. And somehow if I put these on and then I put them in active mode, it, it does this weird kind of, I think they've got some kind of surround sound built into them or some kind of, there's a slight phase mismatch or a relationship thing that happens there. But for speaking, it feels a bit kind of boxy and weird, but for singing, it's brilliant. It does something that makes me think, oh, I've actually, I've got I quite a good great. voice. <laughs> yeah. And without having to do anything. And then some, and then if I want like a bit, a bit more oomph, I just click in the bass and bring it, you know, just get a bit more weight to what I'm doing. And uh, so I've been really enjoying tracking with them. And then when I went back to, I've been comparing them to these Sony, God, I can't see that, MDR7506. Right. And, or Sennheisers, closed Sennheisers. I always use closed headphones because I don't want it to bleed back into the mic obviously when i'm recording my voice um put the sennheisers on after these and it's like oh god everything sounds really boxy and uh really kind of flat but kind of middly in an oratony sort of way so i'm sort of really warming to them and warming to that what, what, it, what it does? So are we going to go to what they sound like? It's a, well, I'll tell you what. One thing we should say because um, in the chat room, um, Rance, I think it said something about DSP. These are actually, you know, the 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 the, the blurb about it said, you know, these are not DSP based. It's no. analog. It's analog. It's an yeah. analog amp yeah. on a circuit board. It's matched to the drivers. There is no digital aspect. I mean, it's got a USB cable on it, but that's purely to generate the charge. The charge. There is yeah. no DSP going on. So that kind of slight. It's not. It's not even a. It's not out of phase, or it's not fully out of phase. It, that slight but, sense that you get is something else. I don't know what that is. But so yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think whatever it is that happens with the the amp board in here is a good thing, because uh, the the two track you sent two tracks earlier on, and I listened to both of them, and I listened to them in passive mode, and then in active mode, and then with the bass boost on, and what I notice is. And it's not just that it gets louder when you turn the amp on. What I noticed is that there's this whole sense of uh, presence on vo voices, uh, and it brought the acoustic guitar completely to life, switching this circuit in. It was just kind of like, wow, what happened there? Some, you know, like the edge of the guitar and the, the, the attacks of everything. It's just like, wow, something really good is happening here. And then the sense of space is bigger, which is why I think it might be doing... Well, I think that would be that would be inadvertently a surrounding, but reverbs, the clarity on reverb tails, it's just like, hang on, this whole thing just brought brought got brought to life, and then I so I thought, okay, I'll turn the volume down and match the volumes as best I can, and if I turn the volume of the amped circuit way down, I still got that sense of space, that sense of clarity, and uh, presence on vocals, attacks on stuff it's just, it just kind of it there's a you know it's doing something really and then i'm thinking how is it doing that because i'm listening on this 
right. this afternoon. I listened on my iPhone, and I'm thinking the iPhone, gen- generally, the, the amp circuit in this isn't brilliant, is it? So, so I'm listening on my iPhone, and I'm thinking, if it can make my iPhone sound like an audiophile listening device, then this can only be good. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. That's very interesting. I mean, I think that that. Uh, Gaz, um, sorry, Gaz, have you tried them for for mixing and that sort of things? Have you actually tried that? Do, do you get the kind of ah? You've been using that as well, have you? That's the uh, fo- yeah, Focus Stripe VRM box. Yeah, that, which I, I think Mark uses hmm. as well. I think. Yeah, well, well he's I, got it, I'm, ah, no, in, in, in an interface. To, yes, I'm listening to Focus Right Pro. Which has the same DSP, te- yeah, which, which has the exactly same technology the same. in it. Right. I do have one of those somewhere. I don't know what I've done with it. Uh, the thing with this is that I, I never thought it drew, like, say, with my HD 650s or my um, KRK 8400s, um, I never thought it drove the headphones enough and it made the actual weird VRM stuff sound a bit washy. I don't know, it sounded a bit weird. But actually, it's given this another lease of life. Right, Lisa, interesting. Because because the extra oomph that the headphones give, it's kind of just made them... Uh, yeah, I've been doing some mixing with them using this, and I've been really pleased listening back to the playbacks on my Genelec monitors. Um, uh, just, yeah, thinking... Because uh, when you listen to, say, commercial tracks, one of the really nice, noticeable audio uh, artifacts of the Blue Mofis is the 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 stereo separation or the, or the sound stage should we should we call it uh, the sound stage feels really really nice it's uh, it, it feels like it's got some real nice depth to, to the mm. sound stage. Well, it's easier um, to position things when you've got that sort of clarity as well. Mm. But also, uh, you sent us some reference tunes to listen to uh, earlier, Nick. Um, two pieces of music um yeah that was uh KD lang save me off ingenue and uh, alessandro cortini enough which is a very challenging mid-range mix i think yeah that i really struggled with that mix actually <laughs> i thought it sounded i really thought it sounded re- quite quite poor interesting uh, the the, the KD lang one sounded great but it did sound a little bit you know certainly from a level point of view it sounded like it was a an older yeah. kind of master sound uh the cortini track sounded over overly mastered to me it sounded quite aggressive and i didn't find it pleasant to listen to at all so uh i like that one <laughs> it's it's interesting i i, I don't want right. to dwell too i mean i think basically the takeaway we seem to be getting from this is they all sorry a rich wanted to just come in there as well i, I noticed um, I have one more thing to say about this that might be useful to people. Um, the active mode sounds great when you're feeding it from, a, for example, a remote, a, a phone device or an iPad or something like that and using a yeah. normal playback system. But if you're using an um, enhanced playback system, like I like to use Louder Logic uh, by McDSP, um, and you use the headphones in active mode, it tends to be kind of overkill because right. they're sort of accentuating the same things twice. And mm. so, again, in those cases where I want to use loud, louder logic, I'll run the headphones passive mode. But when I'm using I, uh, whatever the uh, iTunes is, I believe, still their playback engine, um, then the active mode actually sounds really good. And some people might actually like the bass boost, especially uh, people who are into dance music. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think we'll probably uh, hold it there because I, I think the the uh, chat room are getting a bit antsy, and we spent quite a long time on this. I, but, <laughs> I just want to say, say I want to say two oh, more things. Right. Okay. Very quickly. <laughs> uh, the two things I want to say is I don't think there is a surround circuit in here because I did a whole load of tests where I played things down one side and tried to find out if it was going to come out the other side. If there was a surround circuit. That tends to work by reversing the phase of one side and sending it to the other side. And there's no evidence of anything coming out the right side if I send things only to the left. And as far as the bass boost is concerned, um, I really like it. And the reason I like it is because I like to have some kind of weight hitting my ears. And if I put the bass boost on, I can turn the amps way down. I don't have to listen to everything flat out. I like being sealed in and listening to things quietly, but still being able to have yeah. the bass. So I'm not using it to blow my ears and go like, whoa. Yeah. Although you can, I think. That. It's just like, it just, it just adds like a whole load of depth to it when, you're, when you've got the things turned down. Hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you. Well, Robbie, you just wanted to add something as well. I wanted to add something very frivolous and say, Rich has got the best radio voice with these on. Yes. It's his, so cad, nice. his cad mic sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I would agree with that. No. It's got yeah. a low radio <laughs> speaking voice. Yeah. So Sorry, nice. Gaz. Yeah, the only one thing I would say is that because of the extra volume, you'd have to be very you'd, careful. You have to be careful, what, yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe the thing that the fact that you can pull the cable out maybe quite could be quite a good thing because uh, they're the loudest headphones I've ever heard. And. Uh, if, well, if, for instance, you went to a session yeah. and someone was just would give you a signal and they would assume by normal headphone standards that would be a medium volume, you know, uh, you know, it, it may it's, have been it, nice to have some attenuator on here. Ah, right, uh, so you could just turn, have, yeah. I you know, see what you're saying. Or, or, or a mute control, but maybe just the fact. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I, sh that, that I should quickly say, I mean, basically, uh, they go in Good. the UK for around 279 quid. Uh, I've seen them. I, I should try uh, to find them less. And in the US, it's about 399 US dollars. That's what I found that on Amazon US. And in the UK, it seemed to be the sort of standard price. I mean, I suspect you might be able to get them a little uh, cheaper in the UK, uh, in the US, if you shop around a bit. But uh, I mean, those are the sort well of well worth it. Yeah, it I think you know. To be fair, it feels like actually a, a pretty good mm. deal. Uh, and like yeah. I say, I'm extremely fussy with headphones, and I do find these actually quite enjoyable to use. So, okay, right, we should have a message from our sponsor. Ah, that's not them. This is them. Isotope, of course. Ah. Uh, the show sponsors and they've been bringing us uh, Iris 2 indeed Iris 2 is one of the uh, the the most comprehensive sound libraries, 11 gigabytes of sound. We've also got, uh, the, the, we used to have uh, separate libraries. Now you've got a full 11 gigabytes of sound that comes with it. You've got very flexible routing modulations, five LFOs, five envelopes, eight macros. As you can see, there's lots of visual feedback. And also you've got access to the uh, sort of iris way of working, which uses the spectral uh, analysis and the spectral filtering. So you can kind of grab various elements of the sound. You can see, if you're watching the video, you probably see little portions of the waveform being highlighted there so you can really hone in on up to the three waveforms very fat sounding i, I hate i use the word fat rather uh, hesitantly because it's such an overused term certainly and these headphones that sat this is sounding pretty damn good to me on this side but if you want to check out iris 2 we thoroughly recommend there's a, as with all of the iris products there's a 10 day free demo you could just go to isotope.com forward slash iris and of course uh, we will have the winners of a competition we 
Isotope also sponsors the competition. This week, uh, last week's show, which was episode 400. Whoops, the wrong button. Sorry, I've been out of sorts here. Everything sounds so different today. Um, basically, uh, last week we asked you to tweet. Uh, Sonic Talk 400 because it was episode 400 and we have a winner we plucked we did try and get 400 entries we didn't quite match that but our fallback position was the same one which was you know we pick a random winner and the random winner this week is a chap called Paul who has the hashtag at Bashmac so B-A-S-H-M-A-C he tweeted Sonic Talk 400 uh, at to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc and said congrats on 400 shows guys you are great well thank you very much Mark and you are now the uh, proud owner of Iris too so do get in touch and we will have the Iris Isotope Fairy uh, drop the codes into your uh, email box and you'll be able to download a fully functional version and of course um we have a competition this week as well. We want you to use Twitter for this. Uh, I've mixed it up. We've added two hashtags here. So uh, if you want to win Isotope Iris 2, what you need to do is basically tweet this, which is the hashtag Epic Library and the hashtag Iris 2 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. If you're watching, uh, you'll be able to see this. Obviously, there's more characters available, so do add a message there. We do read them, and I know they monitor it as well. So just to reiterate, hashtag Epic Library, one word, and the hashtag Iris 2, one word, to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Thank you very much for the sponsorship of the show. Right, there's been some interesting developments. I mean, obviously, Music Messer did rather blot out any other kind of news, uh, but we have uh, a new synthesizer. This is the Moda NF1. This was a technical overview. This is actually a digital synth, loud and proud, three oscillators, all DSP. Elements of the Moda NF1 synthesizer. The oscillator section is here. This is just an overview. I won't play the whole thing because uh, you, it's actually quite dry and I think they're going to do some more videos of the actual sounds of it. Uh, there are some, uh, if you go to the website, there are a number of sound examples also listed. And what's interesting about this is this sort of notion that this, they're just going, it's digital. We love digital. We think there's a digital has a lot to offer. It's loud and proud. We're not worried about it not being analog. It's digital. And I think that's quite an interesting, it's quite a bold move, but I'm wondering if there might be a sort of little bit of a shift because we've also got the Parva, which has a lot of uh, digital aspects to it as well. I don't know. Uh, um, Robbie, I'm going to come to you first because, you know, you, you've been gassing over the, uh, the modal 008 and also the Prophet 6. Uh, mm. You do have some digital synthesizers. Well, digital synthesis has a place. I mean, we've, we've been using it for yeah. years. Um, be some interest that, and you can do some very interesting things with yeah. digital that you can't do elsewhere. Uh, is this the sort of thing yeah. that you'd be interested in finding more about? Well, I, I think I might have been, but because I've, I when I've got my um, when I got my Eurorack stuff, I've I made a very conscious effort not to just recreate an analog synth with a Eurorack. I really wanted it to be an interesting kind of diversion from that. So I bought the I bought the um, the piston Honda. You know, by Harvestman, Harvestman and I've yeah. got, and I've got the braids by Mutable Instruments. That's lovely, yeah. So yeah, so I've got, I've got some of that kind of digital stuff, and it's great being able to have the, you know, piping those kind of digital aspects into like analog filters and all that kind of thing. So I'm all for it. I mean, that 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 really interests me, kind of that marriage of everything mashed together. And perhaps this unit is a good way uh, for people who want to explore a bit more of that kind of territory alongside having some sort of capable analog synth it's a good kind of marriage of the two and it's nice that it's not a mono synth because a lot of the digital you know boutique synths you get that have a, like a sid chip in them or whatever are just mono or you know or you they don't have that kind of capability so nice to have an eight note poly i think 
Yes, um, that is also to be said. It is an eight-voice poly, which is actually interesting. One thing that I will see, uh, I'm looking at the web here, there are no CV connections, so they really are issuing any kind of uh, analogue connectivity whatsoever, which uh, perhaps might be uh, a step too far for some people. But it does have uh, quite – I'd like the look of it. And they have asked me if I would like to take a look at it, and I might try and get hold of one just to sort of see what yeah. it has to offer. Because um, that is my want. I know, Rich I, – I, I mean, a synth is a synth. If it makes the sound you want to make, I'm guessing you don't care whether it's analog or digital, right? A step too far. <laughs> That's it. I'm not buying one. Um, no, it looked like a pretty cool instrument to me. It does a lot of things. I don't know what it costs, but it, it does a lot of things. I actually liked the layout. Some people were griping about its non-traditional layout. I thought it would be very quick to get around, really easy to identify the things on the panel. Nice the way it switched between oscillators, between waveforms, uh, between envelopes, uh, supplies a whole lot of possibilities in terms of the sounds. The waveform sounded pretty good to me. I have no complaints. It's interesting. It's also got format filter. Um, there's some question about how much yeah. it costs. It's got, I think it's going to be about 900 euros, I believe. So it's, you know, a th around the thousand bucks mark. I don't know what that is because it's a European build. It might be a bit more because of the imports and what have yeah, you. It could be as much as 12. It could be as much. But, again, for an eight voice synth, that sounds good. That's not unreasonable. It's not unreasonable, is it? I oh, know, Gaz. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? The uh, the form factor is similar. Obviously, the layout is different, and this does have more controls to the Parva synth. I should mention that the Parva synth is in its last few hours of Kickstarter. Ah, I think okay. this may be, I don't know, oh. maybe 12 hours to go on it. And, and just to recap on that thing, because I... I really am very interested in that, and I, 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 and my finger is, is very much hovering over the, uh, the, the buy it button on Kickstarter. The Parva synth is an eight voice DCO. Well, it's not necessarily an eight voice. You can get it as a single voice, and then you can, you can add extra, extra voices to it. And if you are in the UK and with the tax. That will cost you just over 800 quid, including delivery okay, for so an eight-voice analog unit, which... That's it. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't got as much control on it, has it? But it does have those rather no. lovely-looking mm -hmm. AMOLED uh, displays. That does look pretty tasty. It, it's, it's very well-specced. Now, the thing that really excites me about that is... Oh, I should just make a correction. Last week, I said MDE for um, multidimensional expression, and it should have been MPE for multipolyphonic expression. So that's what it now supports as well. So if you're interested in things like... Ah, uh, interesting. Like, a, like, like the Linstrument... Uh, this will respond then, to it. Uh, that's interesting yeah he's he, he's put that in as a kind of once they reached the kind of kickstarter goal he sort of put it in as a reward <laughs> oh, that's cool well if we look there they've got nearly eighty thousand bucks of a fifty thousand yeah. uh dollar so that so they're in so that's really good so i don't know when and, they're going to start coming on stream though and it has usb hosting which is just uh, uh, you know i'm banging on about this and please manufacturers please look at this as a as a way forward you know so you could plug an x key in and it responds to polyphonic aftertouch from an x key powering an x key you know so that's a such an attractive idea just that box just an x key very portable and very powerful yeah so, that's uh, yeah. true being able to plug those directly in that's yeah. a nice idea i know mark uh, you, you're looking disdainful there i don't know whether that's uh, just <laughs> your natural natural uh, you're thinking of something else or whether it's this top topic that has uh, no i'm looking at I'm looking at this. Well, first, uh, first of all, 
I was a bit put off by the re- the review because he sounded like the Swedish chef to me, and I kept <laughs> yeah. thinking about the Swedish chef. If I still got my if I'd still got my moustache, I could have put on a, a, a one hat. of those white hats, like and you know, done a parody. But I'm not going to do that. Um, uh, uh, I'd, uh, when is somebody going to make a synth that does something different? Well, well, do you think the it. design? Do you think the designer of this sat down and went? Oh, I've learned how to code in DSP. I'm going to make an all digital synth, and then decided like, oh well, it needs like you know, whoever's designed this has thought, oh well, it needs ten oscillators and it or ten waveforms in the oscillators, and it needs three off- oscillators. Oh, and it should have a modulation on the oscillators. Oh, and it's going to need an LFO and an envelope and all those things. And it just looks like they've okay, it's got all the things that a synth would need, but why don't people sit down at the beginning of it and go, I need a sound source, and then I want to do things to the sound source. It looks like it's trying to be a really clever version of everyone else's synth, and it probably is, but it's not ever going to sound anything other than marginally different to the things it's sort of, like if that makes sense i think that's so, a fair point i think i mean and you yeah. know that, that i think that's a that's a fair point that actually takes me mm-hmm. back because i know um robbie you mentioned the uh, jobo music flexium which is not going to be available till much later in the year but that looked very interesting in terms of that's just a purely software synth the idea of creating all these kind of points in a waveform and being able to modulate individual points just that was kind of an interesting new take on synthesis and uh, yeah i take your point i think that's it but yeah. i guess it's the affordable nature of it that is something that is seductive in this instance because obviously you know. It look, you know it looks like a nice synth it and and uh I, you know i'm just not excited by it i'm sorry I'm, it looks really nice but yeah, and, and it, should, it should be pointed out in on a synth mode that tomorrow's the launch of omnisphere 2 Ah, Ooh. yeah. Well, that's something that everybody. And I'm, 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 someone might be able to help me. I'm a little bit confused about how I'm meant to upgrade because I can't work out anywhere where I'm meant to upgrade, where I'm meant to buy it, anything. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. I'm sure we could find out, um, and we will do our best to do so. Maybe okay. someone in the chat room will know. Oh, get, uh, Rich has something to say. Well, I was just going to say I wouldn't be surprised if they Enable. unfurl all of that tomorrow, if tomorrow's the release date. Yeah, there's a big, yeah, there's website, big countdown you know. timer, isn't there? There's a countdown yeah, timer on the website. But that's, if, if you own all three products already, you can get a special upgrade, and I can't find anywhere to do that. So that's done. No, but I imagine that that whole commerce yeah. aspect of the thing will appear uh, where the release okay. is. Okay, got you. There's okay. a big countdown. There's there a big it is. Countdown. One day and 11 seconds. There we go. I'm sure once that reaches... Everything will be revealed. Everything will be real. But, yeah, that's something well worth looking forward to. But, uh, yeah, that's a good point, Robbie. Thank you very much for that. Okay, um, let's have uh, – well, we have to talk about this, but just purely because it's an interesting notion. Uh, and, uh, of course, I'm going to press the button and everybody will probably groan inwardly. This is obviously the news of the <laughs> Apple Watch, which, uh, you know, it's, it's a very inter- – and we're all – you know, the Apple Watch, I still don't really understand what it's for or any of those things. It seems to me that it's got, you know, the notion is it tells the time and it also gives you biometric feedback so you can find out whether you're about to have a heart attack or whether you're not or all of those sort of things or, you know, running, and which have uses because a lot of those sort of Fitbits and things will sort of analyse your movement and heart rate and all those things. And I suppose if you're that kind of person with a busy life who already has the iOS kind of thing, then the watch might be of interest. But uh, it's an astonishing notion. But we're already starting to see um, 
musical apps kind of becoming available for them. We've got the IK Tuner, which is kind of a cool idea. There's uh, various other bits and pieces coming out and t uh, tap tempo and instruments and those sort of things. I mean, obviously none of this is out yet because you can't get hold of one of these watches. But I just wondered whether, I mean, I know, um, you know, several of you guys are iPhone users, whether this, you think this might have a place and whether there's kind of, because you need to have it attached or, or paired with your phone. I'm not totally clear. I don't know if anyone knows. I'm suspecting Robbie <laughs> might know a little bit about this because well, you are such I've, an early adopter. Well, okay. This is the only product from Apple that I've never rushed out and gone, I'm going to get it now. But um, I read a very funny thing over the weekend about this guy who bought, an, uh, bought a watch and went into the office and he said he went into the office and he was kind of not going to show it to anyone. And was just going to wait till people kind of noticed them and went, wow, you've got an Apple Watch. And they were all just ridiculing him the whole day. <laughs> so much so that he felt so self-conscious he took it off. <laughs> it didn't quite work out how he expected. Yeah. No, but I mean, I think, I think the watch for me is, is definitely the product from Apple that I thought, a lot of Apple products, you think at the time, why is it like that? Why does it do that? I don't know whether I'd be wanting to do that with a product like this, you know, like with the iPad and stuff. And after a while, you kind of thought, oh, yeah, I can see this use for it, that use for it, whatever. With the watch, I, I, I think it's going to take a while for it to really mature into a product that you actually think, oh, I've actually got some really useful uses for it, apart from changing the face of the, you know, the design on the face and all that kind of thing. So I think I, for myself, I'm leaving it a year just to kind of see how it develops. Um, and, yeah. You know, well, it, but, it, it, but I think it has, it's no doubt got some very clever uses. I mean, a tuner, perhaps that's good. I don't know. Is it any better than just clipping a little tuner on the end of your guitar or, or, or whatever? Or using the one in your phone, yeah. Or, you know, or all those things. I don't know if it is any better. It's certainly a, it's certainly more of a statement, isn't it? Yeah, it's, interesting, mean, you know, it's interesting the way that, you know, musical applications have been driving the use of these kind of things. You know, certainly on the iPhone and the iPad, these are definitely big, big things. I don't know. I mean, is there more of a hoo-ha about this in the States, Rich? I mean, you're probably uh, around pe um, people who might be able to afford... Uh, and desire such a thing, uh, or maybe even have access to the uh, to getting hold of them. Uh, is there anybody you know you seeing any kind of use where it might be have some kind of? Well, I'm no barometer of the social culture in general, so I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna try to speak in that language. Sure. But what I think I do understand about this product is that it's not really primarily directed towards us musicians, guys who use technology for music purposes, things of that nature. It's an accessory device, and I think I might get interested in this product should I ever get off of my large uh, posterior and actually get into a fitness routine. Um, and yeah. in those circumstances, I might get interested in a product like this because it also happens to, while it's doing that, link to the phone that's in my pocket so that if I get a call, I can just click on the watch and talk that, you know, be... Dick Tracy in American cartoons where they always had the wrist radio yeah. and he was talking to his other compatriots. Um, so that's the way it links with your phone is that it uh, sort of networks, you know, local networks with your phone in such a way that it'll use your phone's uh, connections to as a communications device. But it has no direct communications of its own with whatever, you know, um, network provider that you're working with. Yeah, somebody in the chat room. Uh, in fact, it was. Uh, oh, hold on. I'm see if I can find that. Uh, uh, D beam, the D beam Akai rhythm watch. Yeah, the, actually, that would be really. You, you could use it as a D beam, couldn't you? Maybe that Roland could do a D beam application for it that would control over MIDI. Because I'm guessing it would waving your wrist around. <laughs> to, from I, don't, I don't know, purposes. Gaz. I'm guessing you probably uh, mm. think it might be Tosh. 
Uh, I tell you what is interesting. I think early reports of people are saying that the actual, what, what are they calling it? The pressure. They've, it's got a forced touch or something. Um, is very good. And it's that's the thing that's interesting for me because I think we'll see that coming out on our other, you know, touch devices like iPads and iPhones, etc. The idea that yeah, having a pressure. a pressure a pressure element. Ah, so okay. the uh, so the, the, so the watch has that. They, right. Yeah. The new, lap yes, the new laptops are having it, new aren't laptops they? Are, yes, oh, they okay. are. But to have it on a on a kind of on a screen as well just uh, strikes me as being a very interesting thing you know uh, there's loads of absolutely stunning apps as we know um but to be able to have that sort of tactile pressure idea as well i think uh, it's very interesting so uh so i think in a way that this this watch is a little pioneering device in that respect so it's more um, what things to come rather than actually it i know what do you reckon mark yeah. i mean you you i think you're an iphone user aren't you i mean is it something that you know would 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 have a place in your life. I mean, I guess we kind of need to be shown as we were perhaps with the iPhone and the iPad musical ways that it would maybe be relevant to us rather than, you know, as, as Rich says, just a sort of a, a way to check whether your exercise routine is working. Um, okay. What do I think? So my, uh, my entry into the world of the PDA started with a Scion organizer, uh, and I needed something portable. So I needed to be able to go out in the world with something portable and enter data into things and then get that back into my computer at a later date. So that made sense to me. Uh, then Apple brought out this thing called an Apple Newton. Got one of those, yep. Yeah, which was absolutely disastrous and complete waste of time as far as I could make out. Um, I bought one of those, had it about a week, and went back to the Scion um, and then carried on using the Scion for years. And then, uh, so this is like, was it like three, four, four years later, the Palm Pilot came out. It did the same thing as the Apple Newton, but it was brilliant. And smaller, yeah. So what I'm sort of seeing is, and, and Apple carried that Newton device through a number of iterations for a while, and it never really took off, but it did eventually find a market for itself, uh, albeit in the Palm Pilot and then the Compaq. What are those things called? I can't remember what they're called because Hewlett Packard bought. Oh yes, Palm, the Dell, Palm, uh, there was a Dell one as well, which we used. That was quite powerful. And I then mean. that sort of became uh, everyone who you know worked in the corporate world had these Compaq Palm kind of devices that they could write on and then the the black blackberry that's yeah. kind of taken over so this you know the the iphone was a touch screen device and that kind of killed off the palm pilot yeah, pretty and, much all of it and now it? that's kind of taken over and even blackberries now are, are touch screen devices so i'm sort of seeing you know apple are gonna have this thing um it's a fashion accessory at the moment. I yeah, mean, the way that they're marketing they're all the different... pouring money down a black hole and hoping that it's going to take off, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I see with it is that I've been watching The Apprentice quite a lot recently. That's a UK and, program. Uh, they do have a, a US version of that as well, I think, don't they? So, Just for yeah, those yeah. international listeners. I think yep. it's The Apprentice. Am I getting Yeah, no, you're right. No, no, I'm, oh, no, no, no. I'm getting it muddled up. No, not The Apprentice. Dragon's Den. Ah, yes, they do. Dragon's have, Den. They have it with Whenever Donald Trump. Any, 
<laughs> yeah, but whenever so in this country we've got Peter Jones, and whenever anybody goes in front of Peter Jones with an idea that's a bit like this, he says, "How are you going to hold stock?" And I'm looking at the range of watches that they've got, and I'm thinking, "How is anybody going to hold stock for that?" It's not that like this. It's not like that. I just make two this in two colours with uh, a, a couple of memory options and I can hold enough stock of that that I can offer people whatever options are available uh, in my Apple store. If the Apple store wants to hold stock yeah. oh, shit, of, of, um, of the Apple Watch, they're going to have to hold something yeah. like 38 different models and then they're not going to hold stock of the one that's like 12,000 euros or whatever it is. So... It's, it seems to me like it's gonna. It's a logistic and warehouse kind of nightmare, and it's yeah. that kind of thing that investors like want to like shy away from and, and not be involved in. So there's there's a couple of elements there. There's and so there's going to be early adopters who think it's cool and they want one, um, but beyond that, it still needs to prove its functionality is useful to people in their everyday kind of working or leisure lives and i'm not sure that it's done that yet so no nope. um, can i just say one thing which yeah. i think is interesting some someone was saying to me the other day you know if you go and buy like a luxury watch if you if you've got that kind of money and you go and buy a rolex or whatever you buy yeah. a classic rolex you'll have it for 20 years 30 years 40 years yeah whatever it'll be a classic watch you're always going to wear someone's going to yeah. go and spend ten thousand pounds on a gold iphone iwatch yeah. And it's and and it's got what Apple call what the industry calls planned obsolescence in that yeah. in that they know that it's got a life cycle of however long before it's going to lose its operating system and it's just the way it is. You'll go out and buy another one. You're not going to be able to put a new processor in it because they've already shown that it's all glued in. There's no way of doing all that. So this is the first time Apple have brought out a luxury product, which is crosses the kind of realms of just being a technology item to being a fashion mm. item. Yeah, I mean. Who's going to spend ten grand on something that in three years won't run the OS, and they'll have to give it to their kid and go, "Sorry." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what we all do with iPads, isn't it? We hand them down to our kids or whatever. I mean, yeah. that that end of it hasn't been that end of it to me hasn't been thought out. No, well, perhaps I think we. I think it's fair to say the panel has yet to be uh, convinced of this. Right, let's move on to something yeah, a bit more music technology, oh, yeah. uh, if we can, just purely because uh, we've probably spent a little time outside of outside of that. But I'm sorry to cut you off there, Mark. One thing that did come up that that I think again is interesting. I saw this on uh, Create Digital Music, uh, which, if you don't know, is a great site run by Peter Kern, who's uh, a brilliant journalist, and he's. Uh, posted some really interesting stories this week one of them is the google chrome browser does midi and th th this in itself you know okay what whatever but actually it's quite a big deal and I, i've got an example here this is a, a, a an app by a chap called chris wilso um what chrome have been doing uh, they've been adding midi implementation into the browser so now actually what you could do is you can take we've seen various times you know drum machines html5 things that run as instruments but you have to use the keys on the keyboard or you know your mouse or your touchscreen or whatever which we've talked about as being a possibility what this now does is allow you to add uh, a midi device and i've actually I, I went to to set this up so this this is it here basically it, it's not a great synthesizer but this is an html5 interface and there's a synthesizer here and i've actually got uh, an x key plugged in which is just here 
as a MIDI device, and it's, al- it's allowing me to select it as a MIDI input to this, which makes it a lot more interesting. I mean, this is perhaps not the best synthesizer in the world, but uh, I'm telling you the latency is actually pretty impressive on this. What you have to do if you want to use this thing is uh, there's a little tag that you put. There's Chrome Flags Enable Web MIDI, and I, I've never seen this page before in my life. And it's a load of features inside Chrome, which this will work in Linux, uh, iOS, uh, I think iOS, uh, Linux, uh, certainly Mac and PC. And it, uh, it's a, a, web, a web MIDI API, which allows us to sort of hook up this hardware. And this just sort of struck me as, you know, okay, it's just, it might seem like a bit of a nonsense. But as we've seen with MIDI, you know, it's, as I think Peter says in his, his, um, his article, you know, it's been with us for 32 years. There are so many things with it now. And now to be able to have it within the, br- the, uh, the browser as well, so that people who are now maybe developing instruments in this kind of environment, it starts to bring that to life a little bit. I don't know what anybody else thinks about this. I mean, the, I would say the latency is good. But the triggering is, you know, I'm not sure whether it's uh, maybe the X key or the communication or it's not quite there yet. But the fact that we could then actually now interface our MIDI hardware, because in the system that I've got here, I can select, if I just press, uh, I can select the MIDI in from the X key, which is the hardware. That's probably a bit small for anyone to see. Or uh, RTP MIDI, which is uh, a network MIDI protocol that I'm running in the studio uh, here. And I can choose either of those as inputs. So I can u- it now will interface with the rest of the world. And I'm guessing some clever programmers are going to start seeing some very interesting things for this to work. I know, Gaz, what do you think? Do you think this has any promise? I mean, I know it's, it's perhaps quite specialised, but actually... It's a, it's kind of a new software development system for for virtual instruments, which essentially opens up to the outside world now. Yeah, I mean it's really interesting, and you know Chromebooks, uh, it would make a Chromebook an interesting like sound module, then wouldn't it? You know, very very simple, cheap device that you know MIDI keyboard Chromebook. Uh, it's quite a nice idea. Uh, uh, so if, if that develops. Do you think then you'd be able to have different tabs open and having it have it? Can you can you set what MIDI channel it's responding to? Is there a way of? Uh, well, not in this instance, but it may well be. I mean, the thing is, is mm-hmm. with this, if I go to another tab, which may be this one, it's still running. So presumably, right. it may be but possible. If, it may. There's, there's no reason why not. If you duplicated that tab, so so then on each each tab, you could have a different you know thing running um that could be quite that could be quite a nice idea couldn't it then then and then if you could just change what midi output it was coming from uh or even be able to create layers and splits you know quite nice and then you just go between your tabs for your different software synths i can see that being quite a quite a nice way of working yeah i think that's the thing that's kind of interesting i don't know um I don't know. Um, do you, do you need any more uh, virtual instrument um, environments in your life, uh, Rich? But I mean, I'm thinking that I, I haven't had a chance to think about this fully as to what the ramification could be. But I'm pretty sure that some some people will show some pretty nifty usages for it. It could be. I didn't get a chance to use this thing. Um, I did play with the drum machine that we had open a week or two ago. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to look at this thing. Um, Drum machines are kind of fun because they're self-generating. You hit go, and then you can start messing around with it, and things change, and it's all very real-time and working. And synths tend to be more, you know, play a note, tweak a parameter, play a note, tweak a parameter, play a note, tweak a parameter. And um, uh, it may be fun. I I can't imagine it wouldn't be fun. But uh, do I need it? Not really. No, I have a few synths laying around. 
Yeah, I suppose the thing with this is, uh, you know, if the MIDI implementation, you could perhaps run that drum machine from a clock source and then it could be part of, you know, your world uh, as just another sound source coming in. And I'm guessing you can aggregate the audio and all of those things because it's just part of this, certainly on OS X anyway. And if it's practical um, in a budget consideration in that way, so that people who can't whatever afford to have, you know, five different companies worth of synths on their computer have access to this stuff that wouldn't otherwise have it, then yeah, it's all good. That's fine. If it cuts into people's business, I hope not. You know, yeah, well, I suppose that's a good point. I, I suspect that it might be nice hard guys. to create really complex synthesizing it, but I'm sure people were going to be pushing the envelope. I don't know. Why, 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 would, you, why would you bother with this when you could, like Gaz said, oh, it might make a Chromebook like a good synth source why wouldn't you just have an ipad with about the billion synths you can get on right. the ipad that are already there and then just plug it up to a keyboard and use it yeah I, I, it, it just seems like to me oh we can do this it's available to do in the technology but it's like you're coming into a marketplace that's already totally kind of sewn up and dealt with i suppose i it mean might, yeah. might be an introduction mightn't it it might be an introduction to people and and for that yeah. could get people hooked into that sort of world perhaps I guess, yeah. I guess my guess is really, you know, if you can create an HTML5 interface, because this will do MIDI out as well, you can create your own interfaces, you know, from that and maybe control other items over the MIDI bus from the interaction with the web page or whatever. That's another possibility. I know, Mark, any, uh, anything you can think of to be useful for? Or am I just um, alone? Well, I did get it to work, actually, in the time while we've been on the podcast. I've, I've downloaded Chrome. I've enabled the... Uh, the MIDI flag, and I've got it working, and it's kind of cool, actually. It sounds a bit like a wasp to me. Um, so, as one door opens, another one closes. I read this week that the uh, QuickTime library is being dropped from the Apple OS X um, system bit by bit, and they're replacing QuickTime with something called... God, what's it called? Something <laughs> oh, else. AV, AV Foundation, I think it's called. Right. And in AV Foundation, in the OS X version of AV Foundation, AV Foundation uh, lives across iOS and OS X, and it's almost exactly the same. But in the OS X version of AV Foundation, the AU MIDI controller part of it has been deprecated. So that means they're just kicking out all MIDI from the AV Foundation. Mm. Um and they're uh, kind of trying to get rid of QuickTime. So if they get rid of QuickTime, which is only 32-bit or not 64-bit and doesn't support um, various different bits and pieces, as I, I guess going forward in the next couple of iterations of OS X, we'll probably see QuickTime disappear. And then if they've if they've dropped uh, the midi controller part of that where where do we get i mean we'll obviously have midi drivers on our on on our hardware that we we buy but it, for the for the quicktime midi layer to disappear i think that's quite i don't know whether you know, it's a signifier of things to come i mean they've got the avb protocol which i think will transport midi as well so maybe that's that's part of what they're doing so you know maybe we're just seeing a shift I in mean, the actual where I read about this was in it uh, on one of the DigiDesign websites or the Avid websites. It was basically saying, if you want to speed up your video in Pro Tools, don't use QuickTime anymore. Use the AV Foundation layer 
uh, but you'll lose all support for MIDI. And I was like, hang on, what? What? You can't do that, but they're doing it. So, right. Oh, well, that um, is, so that, we'll gain we'll gain MIDI in our Chrome browser and, and lose, lose it, it. <laughs> from QuickTime. So it's like it's it's almost like this is something that shouldn't be dropped. And you know, MIDI, however slow or or uh, kind of convoluted or old fashioned it is, it's actually one of the things that's a standard. Yeah. So to go, oh, we don't need that standard anymore. It's another kind of scary. Um, I can't you know, see that happening. Apple I can't can. see that happening. Maybe it's just well, within that I, just, I mean, maybe we need to yeah. be aware you know, of it, it, going on. It would so. totally, it would totally contradict, the, you know, them pushing devices like you know programs like GarageBand and everything, because they still need people to be able to interface with those programs, and to drop to to just kind of cut the cut the life support off. I don't think that would happen. Yeah. Well, maybe, but maybe we'll find a little bit more about that in the future. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's a, thanks for bringing that up, Mark. It's, it. it it's always because Apple I mean, maybe, do have a habit of just going, yeah, we've decided to stop this. And then everybody has to go, oh, my God, what are we going to do? But I'm pretty sure any sort of MIDI transport protocol inside the OS is going to be a fairly low overhead. Maybe they just can't be bothered to to run QuickTime anymore. Yeah, so that, it's, to. It's, to do, it's basically to do with QuickTime. So right, the, the okay. thing they're replacing QuickTime with won't. So I'm not saying there's going to be no MIDI support in your computer at all, but the thing that they're replacing QuickTime with is got uh, the the MIDI functionality, and that's been some of it's been deprecated. Right. So I don't know. Maybe someone can. Well, we shall find straighten out. Straighten me out. Tell me exactly what's happening. Okay. Well, I was just kind of OMS. Just, OMS. Yeah, they're bring like, oh, bringing back. Bringing back OMS. <laughs> no, 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 please, oh, no, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> All of us say no, thank you. We don't really want that. That, that yeah, what a terrible thought that would be. Right, it feels like um, perhaps we should probably uh, bring things to a close here. And uh, I want to say thanks very much, uh, everybody, for um, your input. And also thanks ever so much for taking time to check out the headphones. And obviously, if you want to find out more, there's the uh, blue. Uh, website and i think it's mofi headphones uh if i believe if i uh if i've got it right i'd have to check that i think i probably uh mofi headphones.com if you want to find out more about these kind of things and uh as we said the panel kind of gave it pretty much a thumbs up you know there are some caveats mm. but generally speaking kind of pretty nice sounding things so if you're in the market for headphones you know give them a listen i'm sure there's a place where you can find out what they sound like so um it's time to say thank you and goodbye before i do i will just say uh, once again uh do enter the competition, Isotope IRS2, uh, obviously show sponsors. You just need to tweet the hashtag Epic Library and hashtag IRS2 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Uh, for a chance to win IRS2. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening. I'm going to say, uh, first of all, we'll go to Rich Hilton, who's probably got to zoom off to the studio and do some important musical production work, no doubt. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you. Always great. Enjoyed it. Great seeing you guys. And mm -hmm. also, uh, Robbie Bronneman, thank you also for joining us too and for your input. And uh, I hope your uh, your week is a fruitful one and uh, you get your lead sorted out for your mobile recording setup. It's all sorted. Excellent. All sorted. I, I knew it would be. And, of course, Gaz Williams, uh, I think I'm seeing you tomorrow, actually. We're going to take a look at the uh, Korg Little Bits additional uh, interfacing options, I believe, if that's correct. Yep, cool. And I'll just give you a quick glance at my latest gadget. Oh, what's that? Is that that DJ thing? Yeah. I remember that. I know. It's like, I think it's a design classic. Uh, I've been banging on about this to Robbie for ages, but this came out about seven years ago or something like that. Um, killed off by the iPhone. 
but it's a it's a sort of standalone DJ unit with two decks, 120 gig hard drive, and actually having used it for a bit, it's a really pro piece of kit, and you can get them for next to nothing now. What's it called? It's called the pacemaker. And I think this is pacemaker. that's right. I think this is probably why it it did die a death partly. Pacemaker. How awful a name. Maybe in Sweden where it was made. That I remember. Se- I, d- I do remember seeing that um, at Nam. We did a piece on it, and it was really popular. <laughs> yes, I remember a long time back. It, it, it's an awesome thing. <laughs> it, it does look very awesome beautiful. Thing, and you could use it in a musical way. You can, it's got you embedded Linux in it, hasn't it? Yeah, it's got embedded Linux, I believe. And you can do all sorts of time stretchy things, and there's loads of effects in it. So it's really. I'm amazed by it. And Are I you going to start uh, using it in your mobile setup then, Gaz? Yeah, I have already. Ah. But uh, part, the reason for getting this, though, really, was because at certain gigs, um, people sometimes ask for DJs. And, yeah. uh, so you put so... Your, the Lionel Richie collection on it for, <laughs> for those difficult... He puts, he puts I have. Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart sailing. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, never again. The remix. I have. I have got some Lionel Richie on here, though. Ah, well, glad to hear it. Commodore, in the Commodores. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, Anyway, well, thank you very much, Gaz. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. And also, uh, Mr. Mark Tinley, thank you also for joining us. Uh, Been a pleasure to have you on, as usual. Thanks for your input. You're very well. I'm reading about Watchman now. Ah, okay. I just find this absolutely extraordinary. It says that you've got a full 88-key piano on your watch. That sounds interesting. (laughs) I'd imagine swipe for octave is probably a challenging challenging part of that uh, whole operation. Anyway, Mark, thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you very much. And and before I go, I just want to say, uh, for those of you who perhaps don't know, we've also um, launched a sort of mobile version of the site. Uh, So if you're seeing this... In the future, this is in a sort of adaptive design uh, where you can now um, basically look at it on your uh, mobile device. You've got the opportunity to switch back to the desktop if you can't get on with it. But we figured one of the reasons is uh, if you don't know and you do run a site, Google have just introduced a kind of SEO penalization uh, algorithm. With If you haven't got an adaptive web page that works with mobile, then uh, your search engine rankings go down. That's So it's rather, it was rather hastily put together. And it was a little known fact because I've spoken to a couple of other people go really oh god we better get on with it so but anyway if you want a mobile version of the site uh, hopefully that will make browsing a little bit easier and uh, and for you so once again thank you very much for uh, joining us this week that was sonic talk number 401 and i shall now fade to black see you later <laughs>